Today's scripture reading is John 18, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with the disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chiefs, priests, and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Again, good morning and welcome to Christ's community. My name is Nathan. If I haven't met you yet, we're uh, glad that you're here uh, together with us today. Let me pray for us. Uh, and then we'll look at this chapter of the Gospel of John. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you, through the power of your Spirit, would speak to us today. God, in the places where we need comfort, would you bring comfort? In the places where we need conviction, would you bring conviction? And in all of that, would you remind us as well that we are deeply loved, that there is mercy and grace that abounds. We thank you, Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, 700 years before this final night in Jesus' life, 700 years before, uh, the prophet Isaiah describes him with remarkable detail. Just listen, listen to this for a second. We actually sang a few of these words a moment ago. Again, this was 700 years prior to Jesus' arrival. Isaiah 53, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And with his wounds, we are healed. Now, I don't know if you know this about Jesus, but he has a, he has a whole lot of nicknames. He has a lot of nicknames, actually. Uh, all these different titles in, in the Bible uh, meant to describe him, to give a picture of who he is. And so there's nicknames, obviously, like Messiah. That's a, that's a big one. Or Emmanuel. We know that one around Christmas. Uh, there's also like Lamb of God and Lion of Judah, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, all these, all these different names. But here in Isaiah, we find, in my opinion, one of the most surprising names for Jesus. In fact, it's almost like a little bit shocking that the Bible would refer, refer to him in such a way. And yet I also find it strangely comforting that he's named this. You see, for as long as I can remember, this is just part of my story, as long as I can remember, I have dealt with uh, what I uh, sometimes just like call like a low-dose yet chronic 
pretty mild depression. Just, I'm just a melancholy guy, right? And so there's a sorrow or a sadness that I feel, often in even you know, some of life's best moments. Like there's just, this just comes along with it. Right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Susan Cain, actually, if that describes you, you need to read this book. But Susan Cain, uh, in her brilliant book, Bittersweet, uh, talks about those of us who have this constant longing for home, she calls it. She's not a Christian, but that's one of the phrases she uses. And, and as such, have this, this heightened sense uh, of the sorrows around us and within us. And that's, that's me, people. And so when I, when I hear this particular nickname of Jesus... It makes me feel like he knows me. Like he knows what it's like to be me. Isaiah calls him a man of sorrows. Which again, it's like a shocking name, right? Because he's also the joyful son of God who could celebrate and and welcomed little children, right? His very first miracle was turning water into wine at a party that ran out of wine, right? But he's a man of sorrows. How did he get that name? Back in college, that's where Kelly and I met. Uh, we had this, this friend who, uh, during her freshman year, uh, there was this time in the cafeteria where she spilled something. One time. And for the next four years, everyone called her Spiller. Like, no joke, I almost forgot her name, actually, her real name. Uh, we all called her Spiller. Don't, I mean, she liked it, okay? It was kind of a thing. Uh, she was, yeah, anyway, we weren't being mean, uh, but that's what we called it, like, literally for four years. There are professors who started calling her that. I mean, it's just kind of the, the, way, the way it worked. It, but there's a name. Uh, there's a, a story behind that name, right? There's a story behind the nickname. So what's the, the story behind Man of Sorrows? I think in many ways, it's right here. A story that actually happened 700 years after Isaiah wrote these words. Right here in John 18. So if you've been with us the last last few weeks, we have just come out of uh, the most intimate teaching perhaps ever recorded. Uh, We still have chapter 17, just to be clear. So we're a little bit out of order today. We'll go back to chapter 17 next week. That's so we can have one of our campus pastors. Uh, Pastor Bill will be out here next Sunday with us. But for five chapters here, five consecutive chapters, nearly a fifth of the Gospel of John, so a lot of it, right? It's just been Jesus and his closest friends. His final hours with them, late into the evening, you might remember that it began with Jesus washing their feet, And they had dinner together, the Last Supper. And Jesus loved them to the very end, John said. And so he's he's done everything since that moment. Just these past couple of hours, it's taken us, you know, a couple of months, but it was just a couple hours for them. uh, Over these past 150 verses, to prepare them for what's coming. And so verse 1 then, when Jesus had spoken these words, okay, stop there. Like John is telling us, like as, like as soon as this sermon is over, basically, this, this time, as soon as he's finished his final word of encouragement to his disciples, you know, encouraging them to stay strong to the very end, right, pouring his heart out, they go out to the garden together. And then what happens? His friend Judas betrays him. The people he came to save reject him. And one of his closest friends, Peter, denies that he even knows him. 
So John is, he wants us to feel like Jesus just gave them their goodbye. It was beautiful, it was intimate, it's moving. This is their goodbye in return. And it is awful. Man of sorrows, what a name. Imagine, I've tried to like think in a, in a variety of situations here, like how do, we, how do we put ourselves into the moment with Jesus, right? And so just like imagine if you knew that you were about to die. You just had a little bit of time left. And you, and you had this, this final moment with the people in the world who mean the most to you, your dearest people on planet Earth. You have this, these last little bit, bits with them, right? To, to tell them all the things that you wanted to tell them, to show your love one final time and give them any, anything that they need to be able to carry with them after you're gone. And so you've just done all of that. And these people who mean the most to you in the world, one of them says, actually, I'm going to be glad when you're gone. Uh, Another one of them says, you know, thanks for the advice, but I'm not taking any of it. And the other one, the one you care about the most, walks out without even saying goodbye. So first we have Judas. Judas. Judas had been with Jesus for years. We don't really know why he does what he does, but it's a betrayal of all betrayals. And we've talked about this before, right? Does anything hurt worse than betrayal? Think about that. Like, yes, strangers hurt us. They do. Strangers hurt us all the time. I'm not minimizing the pain that a stranger can cause you, but it's not personal, right? Only a friend can betray you. A spouse, a parent, a child, a sibling, right? A a colleague, someone you thought would have your back and they stab you in the back instead. Like that, is, that is a deep pain, right? And some, of you, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about in a very personal way, right? You've experienced uh, infidelity, right? Or, or the cruelty of a spouse or, or one who just walks out on you. Maybe, maybe you've been cheated by a business partner or, or a friend who gossips about you or betrays a confidence. A few things that hurt worse, Right? So verse 3, verse 3, Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. It's a little ridiculous, isn't it? So even that, that word band of soldiers in the Greek, scholars debate exactly, but that means somewhere between 200 and 600 soldiers to arrest Jesus and a few friends, Right? like serious overkill here and the weapons and torches and all this so john he's like he wants us to feel the pain of this moment but he also he also wants us to know he wants to make it very clear jesus is no victim in this story and and jesus john in in multiple ways draws that out for us that he's he's not powerless here he's not caught off guard and so even verse four right then jesus knowing all that would happen to him came forward and said to them whom do you seek And even if we were going to go back to to chapter 13, you know, that last supper after Jesus washes Judas' feet, Jesus essentially gives Judas permission, doesn't he? So Jesus said to Judas, what you are going to do, do quickly. And so John John wants us to know, like this, yes, this is is awful, right? And, And yet Jesus is in complete control. Verse 4. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. 
Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Even the way John repeats that phrase, I am he, he's, he's drawing out this, there's something important happens here, right? He's, he's showing us that Jesus has all the power in the world in this moment. He's no victim. You see, the name for God in the Old Testament is Yahweh, right? Which just literally means I am. And so when Jesus says, I am he, and they all fall to the ground, like we're meant to feel the, both the power of God in this moment, as well as the betrayal of God. And I know, again, some of you have experienced that firsthand. And maybe you still carry those wounds, right? The trauma of that, of a deep betrayal. I just want you to hear me. Jesus knows what it's like. He knows. The pain you're carrying, he knows. So that's, that's the betrayal. Then we, then we have the rejection. So the soldiers uh, arrest Jesus and bring him then to the religious leaders. It's a trial in the middle of the night, which is not a good sign, right? It's more like a lynching. And these, these are the religious leaders, right? Leaders of God's people. The very people Jesus came to save. And, and the Old Testament, like they knew the Old Testament. The prophets, they predicted this. Like the kings foreshadowed this. All of the, the priests and the sacrifices pointed to this moment. Everything in the Old Testament had been building to this. And had been for 2,000 years. It's if anyone should recognize Jesus and lead others to him, it was this group right here. Verse 19. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong... Bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Again, this is an inadequate example, but I just thought about the movie Saving Private Ryan, right? It's been, been a long time since so I've seen that one. It's powerful, right? How Captain uh, John Miller, right, he's played by, by Tom Hanks, right, risks his life to, to save Private Ryan. Like, we, we know that story, probably many of, you, many of you do. And they risk everything to save this, this one soldier. And actually, they give up everything to save this one soldier. But like imagine in the movie if they had gotten there to, to rescue him uh, and Ryan was absolutely convinced that they were really the bad guys, right? Like, like put them on trial. Despite all the evidence against them that they're actually trying to save him, after all they'd done for him, like what if Ryan tried to kill them, right? That would be a terrible movie, right? It'd be awful. This doesn't nearly capture it. And yet every person in this room knows what it feels like to be rejected, right? To have others think the worst of you. To put yourself out there and have other people pull away from you, right? I mean, I still, I still remember how I felt on the playground in fourth grade. It's a long time ago, people. Uh, when I asked Karen if she would be my girlfriend... And she yelled out for everyone to hear, Ew, gross. 
listen, that was like 34 years ago, and I don't even care, all right? Kelly did finally say yes, uh, and I like Kelly way better than I ever liked Karen, so take that, Karen. (laughs) And yet, like, I still feel in my body the shame of that moment, right? The feeling of being rejected is horrible. Every person in this room, and even some of our youngest, right, could already tell stories of their own sense of rejection. And for some of you, it has been deeply painful. And I just want you to hear this. Jesus knows what it's like. What you feel in your body in that sense of rejection, Jesus carries with him as well. Okay, now the denial. Again, Jesus predicted this back in in chapter 13. So just just as he predicted the betrayal, the rejection, again, he's not a victim here. John wants us to know that. And although what, what Peter does here is certainly not as bad as Judas, right? It's not as bad as Judas. I still bet it hurt more, though. Because Judas was a friend, but Peter was like a best friend, you know, one of his closest friends. And so this is, this is at the trial, right? John tells us these things as they're happening together. Verse 15, so we're going back just a tiny bit. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. And this is John's way of talking about himself throughout the, throughout the gospel. So it's John, most likely, the author here. So John sees all this. He's the witness to all this. Verse 17. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of the man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. So you get denial one, right? That's the first one. But don't, don't miss this. John wants us to see this. And I, you know, be curious what John and Peter's relationships were like. Because they were both like best friends with Jesus and James as well. Those three were kind of the, the main guys. But it, anyway, the way John describes this, he's, he's pointing out like Peter really blew it in this moment. He's standing there by the fire for crying out loud. He's comfortable, warming himself. Right? He's relaxing with these people. Right? He tells us that twice, actually. That while their savior and king is being abused, Peter's, you know, Because it it says it there, and again in verse 25, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So while Jesus is getting ready to die for his sins, Peter was nice and warm and comfortable, at a safe distance, denying that he even knew who Jesus is. So verse 25, that was, again, first denial. Verse 25, so they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, the relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. I got so many questions about this story. Like This is is a puzzling moment for me, especially the way John tells it to us. Because yes, he's pointing out Peter's failure. There's no doubt about that. But he also reminds us about the guy who's, who's... ear Peter cut off. Like, think about that. Like, there in that spot, John, like, wants us to remember, like, so you got to go back to the, the, the garden, right? Just a couple hours earlier, Peter tried to fight. 
When Judas and the soldiers showed up, right, go back there. Jesus, like with a word, he lands them all on the ground. Verse 10, because this is back in the garden. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus, which when the gospel writers name people, it's their way of saying, it's like, I know this guy or you know this guy. Go ask this guy if you want, if you want verification that this happened, right? Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? And so I just, I want to, like, what, what on earth happened to Peter? He was about to take on between 200 and 600 soldiers. And it feels like five minutes later in this story, just later that night, he is cowering before a servant girl. What on earth? Well, I have, I have more questions than answers here, but I, I don't think it's simply that he's a coward because he wasn't a coward just five minutes ago. I think, I think fear is absolutely a factor, of course it is, but that can't be all of it. I think he's disillusioned. I think he's disoriented, lost. I think he's like, Jesus, I don't, I don't know who you want me to be right now. Like, I, I thought we were going to fight. You knocked him down, and I was going to cut him, and we were going to bring the kingdom. But you let them take you. Why should I stand up for you to this servant girl when you won't even stand up for yourself? Fear absolutely played a role. But I think, I think what Peter's doing here is actually worse than fear, right? I don't think he's just denying Jesus because he's afraid. He's denying Jesus because he still doesn't get it. After all that time, after all the ways Jesus tried to tell him to, to show him who he is and why he came, Peter still doesn't get it. And so there he is, warming himself by the fire, denying that he's one of Jesus' disciples. Nah, I'm not following that guy. Part of me almost wonders if what Peter is saying is, I'm not, I don't follow that guy anymore. Right? That's what it feels like a little bit. And how hard that must have been for Jesus. Again, it's, it's not, a, not a fair comparison, but it's like, imagine like a, a spouse saying to, the, to, the, to, the, you know, to their husband or wife, like, I just don't even know who you are anymore. I'm not sure I like it. Or, or think of it like if you're to open up to your closest friend, like, and you've, you've just gone to levels you've never gone with them before, and then they say in return, you know, the more I get to know you, the less I want to get to know you. That, that's the kind of feel that this, this has. And this is Jesus on the way to the cross for us. Man of sorrows indeed. For Jesus knows what it's like. And just let that sink in for a moment. Jesus knows what it's like. This is so important. Like that no matter what you've done, where you've been, or how much you've been hurt, he knows. Because I'm guessing most of us in this room, we've had a moment in life where something bad has happened, you know, some difficult, whatever whatever it is, you you fill in the blank, and you've had someone come up to you afterwards and say, "I, I know exactly what you're going through. Right? I, know, I, know what you, I know what you're feeling, right? In the back of my, in your mind, you're thinking, no, you don't. You've never been in my, in my shoes before. You don't know this circumstance. Like, and and they, they mean well, right? They mean well. And so we give grace in those moments. But in the back of your mind, it's almost more isolating when someone says that. You feel almost lonelier on, on the other side. The reality is that will never be true of Jesus. Never. 
Jesus felt it all, the range of every human emotion, grief, loss, disappointment, sadness, loneliness, temptation, betrayal, rejection, denial. What other, what other God can say that? Only ours. Only Jesus knows what it feels like. Deep in his bones, his body. Because actually the opposite is also true. You know, again, when somebody who has no idea what you're going through tells you, I know exactly what you're going through, like you feel lonely, you feel isolated. But the opposite is also true, like when you encounter someone who actually does know, like, for me, in, in my moments of melancholy or mild depression or whatever you want to call it, like, when I sit with someone who is in that same place, like, there's something that happens in that moment, right? Like, you, you, I feel seen. This, this person actually knows. Or you, maybe you've dealt with chronic pain. I've never dealt with chronic pain, but some of you have, right? You sit down with someone with, with similar pains, or maybe there's a, a loss that's unique to what your experience has, and you, you sit down with somebody else. Like, there's a comfort and a solidarity there that you just cannot get anywhere else. And we have that with the Son of God. He is a man of sorrows, and that is, that is good news, because so am I. So, so are you. All of us, at, at some point or another, right, we are people of sorrow, of deep, deep grief. But he knows. And so how do we, how do we respond to this? How do we respond to a God who knows what it's like? Let me suggest two things briefly. First, if this is true, the first thing you've got to do is run to him for comfort. Sprint if you have to for comfort. Because no one can provide it quite like he can. Because he knows what it's like. But also, you have to remember, as you run to him to that place of comfort, it's not just that like, you can gripe together about how terrible it's been, right? You can't do that with him. He'll listen. But we also have to remember at the same time, he's, he's never the victim. He is, he is sovereign. He's in control. He can be trusted. And, and so, yes, he knows exactly what it is you're going through, but he also promises that for his children, not one moment of your suffering will ever be wasted. Do you believe that? He's the great I am, the powerful God who loves you and sympathizes with you and promises to make it right for you. Run to him for comfort. And also... Run to him for mercy. Run to him for mercy. Because we're, we're, we're meant to feel the pain of this story for Jesus, but we're also, we're also meant to experience our, our failure or sense the failure of humans, basically, in this story, right? It's like, we're not great, people. And this, is, this, is their, this is their farewell to one another. And we as humans, we've, we've completely blown it. Everybody fails in this story except Jesus. And you and I both know we also betray him, reject him, deny him, don't we? And yet, what is Jesus' response to our failure, to their failure? I mean, he leaves this moment. He goes to the cross. He go, like, goes right to the cross for them, for us. Like, there's, there's, no, uh, there's no hesitation in this space. Like, he's like, well, man, forget it, you know. 
That's how you're going to treat me. Like, none of that. He goes right there. This is how much he loves us and how much he wants to extend mercy, grace, and forgiveness to us. I mean, even, even just think about Peter here. Because I, I, think, I think the way John is telling this story, kind of going back and forth between Jesus' trial and Peter's denial, I think, I think he's saying that both of them are on trial. There's a, there's a test happening for, for all of us. We're meant, to, we're meant to feel it, both Peter and Jesus. And in so many ways, so are we. Like, everything is a test of our affections, our loyalties, our loves, our trusts. And Jesus here, on trial, is innocent. I mean, truly innocent. If anyone was ever innocent, it is him. And he passes the test, faithful to the end. And the reward for his faithfulness is the cross. Peter, on the other hand, is clearly guilty. He fails the test. But as we'll see, even later on in John, just a couple chapters later, after the resurrection... We'll get to that story. Peter receives mercy and forgiveness and life. He's restored. That's the gospel, people. That Jesus passes the test for us. That the reward in our failure is his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy. And that is good news. And he offers it to each one of us. Even right here, right now, in this moment, he offers you comfort for your heartache and mercy for every one of your failures. Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. So let's run to him for comfort, for mercy. Let's do that even now. Let's take a moment as we prepare to, to come to the Lord's table. Uh, We're going to take just a minute, and just in the quiet of this moment, and for now, he offers both this to you. We need both. All of us need both. But for now, just pick one. Uh, As we quiet our hearts, pick one. What do you feel like you need most today in this moment? Somebody over there needs mercy. We'll give it. Uh, (laughs) Mercy, granted, right? But what what do you need most in this moment? Go to him for it. Whether it's comfort, whether it's mercy, maybe it's a little bit of both. Let's run to him now and pray quietly together as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. Lord Jesus, we come to you, our man of sorrows. We come to you with great joy, knowing that you bear our griefs with us and for us. And we just say thank you. That no matter what we bring to you, you welcome us with open arms, longing to receive us as family. Thank you for your great love. And God, I I do pray for those in this space who need comfort, which is all of us, but those who particularly need it. Maybe there's a wound that's just really deep right now or feels like it's just never going to heal. Jesus, would you meet that person in that space right now? Would they, would they feel your arms around them, knowing that you will never let go? That you can cry along with them, knowing your own pain and heartbreak. May they feel that in this space. And Jesus, as well, for those who need mercy, and again, all of us, but those who, who particularly feel like they need it, they, they come in today with a mountain of regret or just a deep area of shame. Lord Jesus, I pray that they would come to you for forgiveness and that they would know that they have it through you, through faith. 
you heal them of their shame? All of us. And even as we come to your table, may we once again come to receive comfort and mercy in your presence, Lord Jesus. Do this work through the power of the Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name.